with Custodians of the Planet. Custodians of the Planet brings consciousness to environmental issues and looks at different perspectives regarding the tensions and harmony of human activities in a changing climate. As all you may know, there are international agreements and targets aiming to reduce carbon emissions. But day by day, we hear that these targets are unlikely to be achieved, at least not without drastic immediate change. At present, we shouldn't add any more CO2 and additionally, we should take out some CO2 from the atmosphere. There are a few ways to do that. The conventional approaches of reducing emissions through mitigation and adaptation, policies and regulations that either encourage or force us to reduce emissions. But there is one more way to tackle climate change. Science says basically, there might be a way to hack the planet by altering the atmosphere. In the Anthropocene, we humans often like to play the role of God. The question is, how far should we play this game? To delve into this contested issue, Janos Pastor joins us. Janos Pastor is the executive director of the Carnegie Climate Geoengineering Governance Initiative, which seeks to create effective governance for geoengineering. It aims to expand the conversations from the scientific and research community to global policymaking and encourages society-wide discussions about the risks, potential benefits, ethical and governance challenges of geoengineering. Janos was formerly the UN Assistant Secretary General for Climate Change and the Policy and Science Director of the World Wildlife Fund, and he worked at the Secretariat of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. Janos, welcome to Custodians of the Planet. Thank you very much. Could you give us a brief introduction of Carnage Climate Geoengineering Governance Initiative? Sure, I can. And maybe before I even start that, let me say that recently we changed our name a few months ago and we dropped the word geoengineering. And we are now called Carnegie Climate Governance Initiative. And there was a reason why we dropped the name geoengineering, because that word is confusing and it means very different things to different people. Uh, and so we decided it was much better to not use that word and instead uh, be very specific whether we're talking about carbon dioxide removal or solar radiation modification. Both of those technologies are included normally under the geoengineering label. Now, uh, to your question, our purpose, the Carnegie Climate Governance Initiative, uh, we are there to advance the discussions about and contribute to the development of governance frameworks about these new emerging technologies that will have an impact on climate. We are impartial. We're not promoting these technologies. But what we're saying is if societies decide to go in the direction of making use of these technologies, then they need to be well governed. Yeah, it, it sounds it's a really important mediator between the science and the society. For those who are not familiar with the term, what is geoengineering and what kind of technologies are we talking about in the context of climate change? 
So normally, uh, these climate-altering technologies are divided into two categories. One is removal of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere or carbon dioxide removal, or some call it negative emissions technologies. And these are technologies that actually contribute to the solution of climate change because they actually take carbon out of the atmosphere. They are technologies that are based on nature, so-called nature-based solutions, such as increasing carbon content of soils, planting trees, things like that. Now, those can remove carbon, but they can also put it back very quickly. If you if you have a forest that removes carbon, but if there is a, a forest fire, then the carbon goes back into the atmosphere. So there is an issue of permanence of the emissions that are of, of the carbon that is removed. So anyway, but we have these nature-based solutions for carbon removal, but we also have very high technology-based solutions such as direct removal of carbon from the atmosphere uh, through technologies called direct air capture. And those require a lot of energy, uh, but they, they can happen. And there are some facilities that are working in the world like that. And there are also mixed hybrid approaches such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage that combine nature-based solutions, in this case, growing large amounts of biomass and then burning it for power and immediately capturing the carbon. So those are the carbon dioxide removal technologies. As I said, they contribute to the solution of the problem. And uh, there's a whole series of them. The other family is called solar radiation modification, often referred to as solar geoengineering. And in particular, the one technology that is talked about quite often is the stratospheric aerosol injection. Now, these are technologies that basically change the albedo, the reflectivity of the Earth's atmosphere, in order to send more sunlight back into space and thereby cooling the planet. And uh, stratospheric aerosol injection would involve aeroplanes or balloons that would go up to the stratosphere and release materials such as sulfur aerosols that act to reflect more sunlight back into space. These technologies are based on the natural analog of a volcanic eruption. That's what happens during a volcanic eruption. A lot of these aerosols go up into the stratosphere and it has been measured, for example, after the 1981 uh, eruption of the Pinatubo volcano in the Philippines, uh, that the global temperatures were reduced by about a half a degree for almost two years. And then the temperature went up again. So that's the idea of stratospheric aerosol injection is to mimic the volcanic eruption, but do it on an ongoing basis. And of course, without the big bang of the, the volcanic eruption. Now, the challenge with this uh, family of technologies is that they don't contribute to the solution of the problem at all because the carbon is still in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. However, what, what scientists are saying is that, uh, true, it doesn't uh, provide a solution to the problem, but it might give the world a little extra time during which to complete the decarbonization of the economy that we need to do. Or... In a, alternatively, it might reduce the temperature overshoot, because let's not forget, as you said in your introduction, the world is not doing very well in terms of reducing the emissions. And currently, uh, the world is heading to a temperature increase of three to four degrees above historical average. And that would be a disaster. It would be a catastrophe. And what the scientists are saying that these stratospheric aerosol injection technologies could potentially reduce that temperature overshoot 
and the time during which it is happening. And that is what might give them the humanity, the world, some more time to complete the decarbonization process. Now, of course, all of these technologies, whether it's carbon dioxide removal or solar radiation modification, they all have their impacts, environmental, social, economic impacts on security, on global security, and they need to be addressed. Yeah. Oh, wow. There's there's a lot to take in. But let's talk about the environment of these technologies, where they operate. How does geoengineering relate to governance and social systems? And what are the key issues in this area? And are there any viable ways to solve them? Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's exactly what I meant, that there are all these impacts and they need to be addressed and they can be addressed through good governance. And that is what our initiative, the Carnegie Climate Governance Initiative, is focused on, is to, to, to encourage conversations uh, that lead to a better understanding of what these governance challenges are and how do you address them. Now, this is an area where one has to be very specific. Are you talking about carbon dioxide removal or solar radiation modification? And I would suggest that for the following discussion, we focus on the solar radiation modification because that's where the governance challenges are the most challenging and the most difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean that carbon dioxide removal doesn't have many governance challenges, but I, we just won't have time to deal with them both. And they are quite different. So the big uh, challenges for solar radiation modification relate to how do you decide about this technology? Who should decide? Let's not forget that if you do stratospheric aerosol injection, it is global. It is completely global in the sense that it will have an impact on everybody because it has an impact on the one global atmosphere that we have. So if it is global, then uh, then how do you set up a, a governance mechanism where everybody affected, i.e. everybody in the world, has a way to have an influence on the decision? So who should decide is the first in, most important uh, governance question. And then uh, when should such a decision be made? Because the temperature increase of three to four degrees will be by the end of the century. But it will take uh, some years of research and testing and development before such a technology can be put in place. So should the world think about this now or should we wait 20 years? Uh, so who, who decides and when do you decide? And what information does one need to have in order to take such a decision? We know some things about these technologies, but we don't know enough to make uh, decisions. And then the question arises, what information is needed, who will generate it, what kind of research it requires, and so on and so forth. So those are the most difficult, but even if the society, the world, would be able to take a decision on who decides when and, and, and what information is needed, uh, one day the decision may need to be taken whether or not this technology should be deployed. And if the decision is to deploy, it, it has a tremendous number of very serious governance issues of how do you set up a mechanism to do this kind of stratospheric aerosol injection on an ongoing basis for many decades, possibly generations to come. Because this is not a technology that you can just apply for six months and then you're done. Uh, you have to, as when you, once you get going and when you apply it, you have to keep doing it until 
the concentration of greenhouse gases has come down because of emission reductions and carbon dioxide removals. So uh, this technology is not an, not instead of doing emission reductions, but it would be on top of all the emission reductions and carbon dioxide removal that we would need to do. So very complex governance issues that, that arise. And if I may add that one of the most the significant governance issues that will need to be addressed are the ethical issues, which relate to the fact that we are deciding for few, we would be deciding for future generations. And that, that is, of course, a, a very important ethical question of how do you do that? Yeah, yeah. Deciding the future of the planet is a big deal. And who will be responsible for assessing the risks and then doing it? And I think risk management and ethics, two disciplines that are highly related to each other, How might these ethical issues be addressed then? Well, I, I think, first of all, you need to, to recognize that there are ethical issues. And uh, the challenge that we face is that the ethical issues are considered very differently in different cultures and different religious, philosophical and cultural backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, public participation is very much taken as an important element in Western thinking, in Confucian thinking in China, for example, that's looked at quite differently. That doesn't mean that there is no need for public participation, but the, the ethical concept of, of how humanity relates to nature and therefore how the totality of the public should participate is very different in different thinking across the globe. So I guess the, the point I'm trying to make is that The best way to try to address these ethical issues is to have multicultural dialogues about what the issues are and then come up with ways of how you bring them together. Because ultimately, stratospheric aerosol injection, if ever done, it will be a global issue. It will be a global affair and we'll have to find ways to bring together the Confucian, the Chinese, the Western, the Southern, the Northern thinking into some set of global approaches. Yeah, it, it seems to me ethical dilemmas are something inherent in this area of technology. And I want to know about how safe are these technologies and applications? Because as you said, there are many uncertainties and deciding for the future of the planet. So I think it's really important to assess the risks and know the safety levels and everything. So how safe are they? You're absolutely right that this is a key issue. And maybe uh, I start by my response by saying that there, first of all, that there are no safe responses to climate change. We have Uh, produced a world where we are the overall concentration of greenhouse gases has almost doubled, not quite yet, but almost doubled. And uh, that's a very serious problem that needs to be fixed, that needs to be repaired. And uh, there are no more easy solutions left. If we had addressed this problem properly 30 years ago, and we would have reduced our emissions globally at that time, we wouldn't be here today. But here we are today, and the emissions have been so high that we now need to fix it. And all the, these responses have their risks. And it's not like we can select one good option and as opposed to all the other bad options, is that we have many bad options and we need to find ways through risk management 
to see which option is least worse in terms of the totality of actions, even emission reductions. You know, we, we talk a lot about massive emission reductions, but even emission reductions have their risks and they need to be compared to the risks of uh, carbon dioxide removal and the risks of solar radiation modification and the risks and benefits that one gets from the application of these technologies vis-a-vis the totality of sustainable development as expressed through the sustainable development goals. So it's not simple to say that solar, for example, stratospheric aerosol injection is good or it's bad. No, it's not like this. It's each of these actions have their risks and their benefits and they need to be compared in an overall risk management framework. But the same way as we were just talking about the ethical issues, the, the way individuals and societies look at risk and accept risk and consider risk are different. They're different based on your cultural, economic, geographical backgrounds. And again, for managing risks at a global level, you have to find a way to talk to each other and find common ground. And it's not easy. It takes time. And that's one of the reasons why we are saying that uh, the governance issues related to these emerging climate altering technologies are much more challenging and will take much more time to address than the actual scientific technological issues. Yeah, it is a really contested issue. And what would be the status quo then when we talk about the governance and the communication between different cultures and countries? So my question is, where are we right now? Have we have we just started or are we taking any progress? We're we're not at total zero. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> there have been there have been There have been discussions on various elements of governance, uh, both at the national level and at international level, mostly focused on the carbon dioxide removal and much less uh, on uh, the governance of solar radiation modification. One of the reasons for that is that there are uh, there are. Uh, currently existing international processes like, let's take the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, the key UN process dealing with climate change issues, it actually has a mandate for carbon dioxide removals because uh, back in 92, when the 1992, when the convention was negotiated, it was made very clear that mitigation included emission reductions and removals. It just so happened that over the years, the focus was on on emission reductions. And now there is recognition based on the latest scientific information that the world also needs to do very large scale carbon dioxide removal. But there is space for considering it. And so there is an international process that has a mandate to do it. When it comes to solar radiation modification, however, the the situation is very different because there's no obvious place where these issues need to be discussed. There was some relevant decisions of the Convention on Biological Diversity some years back. So there there is some history uh, there also, but we we need to build on those and strengthen and and clarify uh, the situation further to be able to address the very challenging issues that I've outlined earlier. Mm, really interesting. I wonder who funds geoengineering research? 
this is where you have to again distinguish very clearly between what's happening in the area of carbon dioxide removal and solar radiation modification in fact the, the latter is is quite simple there is not much research going on there is very little money going in there and the the little money that goes in there is either uh, funded from sort of private philanthropic sources or governments uh, where uh, some of the research is not even labeled necessary as quote-unquote geoengineering. Because if you're studying atmospheric chemistry or atmospheric physics uh, or just uh, climate issues in the atmosphere, those are the same issues that one would be researching for climate change in general. Okay, so uh, so it's not absolutely clear whether a particular research is is done for quote unquote geoengineering purposes or something else. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to uh, carbon dioxide removal, there's a lot going on, and uh, there's uh, there's research being funded by governments. There's research being funded by uh, private sector, including the fossil fuel industry, and uh, so there's a much bigger variety of. Of, of activities uh, taking place. One thing I should mention is that when it comes to solar radiation modification, there has been a lot of thinking done by many, and uh, that one important conclusion of, of, of many is that funding for stratospheric aerosol injection research should not come from the private sector, but it should come from public sources. It primarily to avoid the potential conflict of interest uh, that could arise, particularly with the uh, fossil fuel companies. Mm. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on fossil fuel industry funding? Do you think this is a way for them to delay action on climate change? Or are they actually trying to be responsible for the damage the industry has caused? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a very complicated question. Again, uh, when it comes to carbon dioxide removal, a lot of the fossil fuel companies are engaged in, in, in funding research and funding activities in this area because they feel that uh, uh, they will be able to respond better to what's happening in the world uh, because the reality is that fossil fuels are still the large majority of the energy needs of the world. Now, whether that is driven by the fossil fuel companies in terms of uh, supply or whether it is demanded by the world, uh, that's a much more complicated question and I don't want to get into that discussion. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is that, that, um, that, car, that fossil fuels are being used and if there are technologies that are available, uh, whether it's funded by the fossil fuel companies or anybody else that remove carbon from the atmosphere, is something that is necessary. So uh, uh, I would not want to myself decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think society needs to be able to address that decision. But the fact is that fossil fuel companies are there and there is a danger. Yes, there is a danger of what one calls moral hazard. That is to say that by developing these technologies, there might be a tendency to wish to maintain for longer the fossil fuel addiction that the world has. The, the one point I can make on this is that it's really important that in the governance mechanisms that we set up for all these technologies, that issue is explicitly addressed so it, the moral hazard does not happen. The 
removal of carbon, for example, is done in ways that does not have an impact on the emission reductions that we need to do anyway. Mm, true. So society and public in general have little knowledge about these issues. What should be the participation level of society and related to that, what can our listeners do to make informed decisions? Well, that's that's the, the most critical question. And it is true. It's a fact that on the whole, the public, the publics uh, have very little knowledge about these technologies, either the carbon dioxide removal or the solar radiation modification technologies. So if the desire of the public is to make informed decision, then the public needs to get informed. And and therefore, it's it's really important to have uh, institutions and processes that provide useful, impartial information about these technologies to enable uh, participation of the public, to enable effective participation of the public uh, in eventual decision making about these. This is a this is a little bit our bread and butter at the Carnegie. Uh, climate governance initiative is to provide impartial information and then engage with different stakeholders to explain, uh, to convene discussions of different views so that uh, the, the conversation is expanded uh, and eventually we can contribute to society making useful decisions about this. You know, not every individual is going to be involved in actually doing Uh, either carbon dioxide removal or solar radiation modification. This is quite different than, for example, energy production and use, where, in a sense, everybody is involved in a very direct way because we all need energy to to cook, to heat, to cool, uh, to drive, to transport, all of that. When it comes to the removal of carbon dioxide or potentially solar radiation modification, that is not the case. And so the public views and the public's engagement will have to be very different. But nevertheless, I think it's very important, especially because the impacts of these technologies, as we discussed earlier, will be there. And mm-hmm. therefore, it's important that, that the public be well informed and and be able to contribute to society-wide discussions and then decisions about the technologies yeah we have only one atmosphere and everyone will be affected by the decisions Hmm. my last Mm -hmm. question is where can our listeners go to find out more well that's uh, that's where it gets uh, challenging but information is available there is the Uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and they do address these issues in their previous reports. And there is a major new report coming out 2021 and 2022. So I would say that interested individuals and uh, organizations, the first place to go is to look at what is the latest uh, science that is available on these issues, and that is through the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. At the same time, some of that science material is difficult to absorb for many people. And there are many organizations that are involved in, you know, interpreting the science and converting it into policy relevant information, either for the general public or for decision makers. We at the the Carnegie Climate Governance Initiative, our focus is on decision makers and their advisors, and we produce 
a number of policy briefs, short uh, assessments, infographics, and things like that. They're available on our website, c2g2.net, and uh, I would certainly welcome anybody to, to look at uh, the materials that we have. But there are others. Some UN entities have been addressing some of these issues, for example, in the marine environment. So there's, there's actually a lot out there, and I think in, interested individuals and organizations with a little bit of Google search and, and other search methods, they can find relevant information that will help. Janos Pastor is the executive director of the Carnegie Climate Governance Initiative. Janos, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for having I enjoyed the discussion. Custodians of the Planet is an independent and freely available media program and relies entirely on contributions from listeners. If you appreciate what we do and would like to support us, there are a few ways to do so. Start a conversation with your friends and colleagues and be part of the change. Share a link to our podcasts on social media. Donate to our podcast. Each episode is the product of hours of on-location audio recording, editing, research, scheduling and music composition. Just $10, a couple of copies will sustain the hours of labor that go into producing each episode and ensure Custodians of the Planet is an ongoing series. Thank you for your support. For this episode, I'd like to say special thanks to Bonnie Paris for editing the script and Christian Fortis for his technical support. I'm Denise Yildiz, thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.